minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriel Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you. Much like Tom Brady, we are back sooner than expected. Yeah. Unlike Tom Brady, this was, I think, a longer absence. Well, there was the longer absence during the lockout than there was in Tom Brady's retirement. Unlike Tom Brady, I think people, I hope people are happy to see that we're back. Hopefully. Unlike the rest of the world. Who all just collectively went, come on. We, I mean, I kind of knew that it was going to happen. I kind of figured. Yeah. In the back of my mind, I told myself it wasn't. The annoying part is, for me, Brendan, that we already went through all of the retirement posts and the glowing praise from every corner of the NFL world about Tom Brady retiring. And we just have to do it again in like a year but or two we- years. We're, I, Do they, we? They're going to come back. We're going to get a million posts like, he was the GOAT. Oh, the GOAT is gone. Yeah. Well, it, it just, much respect. It loses the... It, it, this was like when Brett Favre kept retiring. Well, also, and then every time yeah. people were just like, all right, we get it. We well, don't care anymore. Well, it also loses its luster anytime you win seven Super Bowls. Once Brady got to like four and then he would win another one, they'd be like, he's the GOAT. Like, yes, we get it. It's just not fun anymore. That we I get understand. He's but, really good. But like the third time that Tom Brady retires, I think people are going to be like, all right, just just go. Yeah. Nobody cares. I mean, he's going to play till he's 50. It, now that he's coming back, I'm convinced he's going to play for at least two more years. There's no way Probably. he plays for one more. After this. Also, Probably. he said unfinished. What unfinished business could you possibly leave out there? I mean, it wasn't Seven very it wasn't very ceremonious, his his exit in the NFC playoffs. So maybe he just thinks he wants to go out on top. But I, he I don't did, know. he's accomplished literally everything that there is to accomplish. What unfinished business? I'm not defending him. I don't want him to be here. Ugh, I'm irrationally angry about this. I'm I'm not like a a, a, a Patriots hater or Brady hater per se. I am. You are. Both of those things. And I'm just, oh man, man of your word, right? Just retire. He he definitely like got asked to take out the trash once, got asked to do chores for a week at home. He had like a month at home and then he went, nah. He went, I I had enough of this. I'm done with this. Yeah. I'm going to delay this as long as possible and risk injury and tough look. Very tough look. All right, Brendan, this is going to be the Brendan Mortensen vindication podcast because yes it is real quickly we'll get the the news out of the way that jordan lyles became official orioles uh right after the lockout which is what we expected he passed his physical because the deal was agreed upon right before the transaction freeze back in december orioles adding a veteran right-handed pitcher to a 5.5 million dollar deal that is guaranteed seven million dollars because he gets a 1.5 million dollar buyout if the Orioles don't pick up his 2023 option, which is for $11 million. We've been all over this all before, but the vindication part, Brendan, comes with Robinson Chirinos. That it does, Paul. If you remember back to a podcast we had, I believe it was the 3rd of November. You, myself, you believe. You, and, you and Tim Leonard. I, I know it was. Yeah. You, Tim Leonard, and myself had a free agency bracket where we took every single free agent Available. Not every single one. <laughs> well, that, well, 32. Then we, we then made that bracket smaller into 32 players. Mm-hmm. And then from those 32, we tried to determine 
who the free agent was going to be that the Orioles would sign. And Robinson Chirinos made it to the finals. He did. And if only there were video evidence of one podcast host thinking that Robinson Chirinos should win that championship round. If only. Do we, do we have the video oh, evidence? Oh, we have the video evidence, Paul. Cue it up. Robinson Chirinos against Marwin Gonzalez. Just as everyone expected. And I am rolling with Marwin Gonzalez, Brendan. Woo! What are you going with? I'm going Chirinos. The Orioles need a catcher. There is no way they leave this offseason without signing a catcher. But catcher? So I, I don't know. I'm going Marwin Gonzalez. Tim! <laughs> All the Tim pressure is decide on. decide the winner. <laughs> the ball is in Tim's hands. This is the Villanova-UNC game. At the very end, shot clock is down. Buzzer beater. What are you going with? Marwin Gonzalez. We got to do it, Paul. We <laughs> made go. it this far. Look, Paul Mancano and Tim Leonard were against me for this entire bracket. They were ganging up on me anytime that I wanted a specific player. You two would decide on the other one. And then, of course, with only the three of us, two outweighed the one. Yep. And in this That's case, democracy, Brandon. I was in action. both literally and metaphorically pounding on the table that we needed to go with Robinson Chirinos. And yet, you said no. The points I will make to the contrary. One, I think it's remarkable. And I'm going to go ahead, literally and figuratively, like you said, give myself a pat on the back for picking the correct catcher. I think it, that was good. Amongst the three of us, that is truly incredible. We started out with eight catchers, we narrowed it down to one. Robinson Chirinos is the catcher that we picked from the catcher region. If you're watching, you can see our free agency bracket, which has been updated. If you're not watching, you should be watching on YouTube and Facebook. Robinson Chirino started as a two seed. He made it all the way to the final four and then to the finals. We thought this made sense for a lot of reasons. And the second point I will make, Brendan, Marvin Gonzalez, who won the bracket, who beat Robinson Chirinos in our free agency bracket, is still a free agent. He is. So the Orioles could go out and sign Marvin Gonzalez, and then we get the championship between... Marwin Gonzalez and Robinson Chirinos, and both of those guys make it in. And, you know, that's a possibility, but there is still only one podcast host who correctly predicted who the Orioles would That is sign. fair. I did not imagine that the bracket would become so crucial and so pertinent now. Yeah. During March, when literally we had Selection Sunday yesterday, but... We did that bracket in November when nobody was talking about brackets. Everybody's talking about brackets now. And, and also, in fairness... Uh, my case was more of just that the Orioles needed to sign a catcher. I think if it was Sandy Leone that advanced to the finals, I I'll, I probably would have vouched for Sandy Leone over Marwin Gonzalez as well. well. But you know what? That's not what happened, and it was Robinson Chirinos. So let's talk about why the Orioles signed Robinson Chirinos. And a lot of the reasons that they did it are the same reasons that we thought they should have done it three months ago. Uh, he's 37 years old, so he's a veteran catcher. He's been around. He's got a 10-year career under his belt with five different teams, Texas, New York, Tampa, Chicago, Houston. He didn't overlap with Mike Elias in Houston, so there's no Houston connection there. But he's been around the block, and when you get to the, be a 37-year-old catcher who has not been an everyday starter for several years, you're looking to be a veteran presence. You're looking to be a mentor, I would think, if you're of the right mindset. And Robinson Chirinos fits that bill as the perfect veteran mentor who provides a little bit of leadership when Adley Rutschman is on his way. I think Chirinos is a fringe starter mm -hmm. and a good backup yeah. in the league, no matter where you put him. And Ryan on Facebook brings up a good point 
when talking about Adley Rutschman because he says, how does a 37-year-old catcher impact the timeline of the top prospect in baseball, Adley Rutschman? Robinson Chirinos is a pretty large upgrade over the two catchers that the Orioles have already signed to minor league deals. Yes. Signing Chirinos right now gives you the flexibility to say, okay, Chirinos can either be your opening day starter if you decide not to call up Adley Rutschman, and he is a suitable everyday starter. Anthony Bamboom and Jacob Nottingham were not really going to be suitable everyday starters behind the plate for the Orioles. If you start opening day with Robinson Chirinos, that's a solid catcher that's it's better than the opening day catchers that they've had in previous years i mean pedro severino got a bigger deal than chirinos Uh, i like pedro severino as a player and i think he's better offensively right now obviously much younger than chirinos but for what the orioles need right now chirinos fits the bill because there's an expiration date so to speak Well, chirinos is better i mean he's just better than pedro severino he's better offensively Eh, it's about negligible. I it, would say it's it's, it it's about the same. I mean, Chirinos has, he played only 45 games last year with the Cubs, and he had a fairly high OPS but at uh, 778. That's fine, but he also hit 227. Right. Uh, you know, Pedro Severino is about the same offensively, but he doesn't bring nearly the same defensively, I don't think, as Chirinos. No, Chirinos gives you quality defense. E- even though he is 37. And he's as, a better defender now. Right. And as a veteran catcher who has played for a bunch of different organizations, I think he's going to be able to bring a lot to a younger pitching staff. Not only the pitching staff, but who better to mentor the number one prospect in all of baseball than a 37-year-old really well-respected catcher? Yeah. I mean, that's going to be a perfect pairing with Adley Rutschman. And like I was saying before, it now gives you the flexibility that if you don't want to bring Adley Rutschman up right away, we know the talent is there, but... Again, we talked about it on the last podcast with the new incentives to bring up top prospects towards opening day. We'll see what the Orioles decide. But now, if you don't call up Adley Rutschman until about halfway through the year, as we previously predicted, you have a suitable catcher for the uh, duration of when Adley Rutschman is not in Baltimore. And frankly, I don't think it really... I titled this on Facebook, like, does it impact the timeline of Adley Rutschman, and I think the answer is no. I think it's it's a legitimate question to ask because they're signing a major league catcher, but they had to sign a major league catcher to have on the 40-man. They could have, in theory, just had Adley, but you're going to need a backup. I mean, whether yeah. or not you feel comfortable with Adley Rutschman starting on opening day, I think that is going to be determined much more by the kind of draft pick compensation you might get under the new CBA by promoting a top prospect on opening day which we don't yet know. We don't yet know exactly the kind of draft pick that the Orioles could get if they promote their top prospect and he finishes in the top three in rookie of the year voting. However, I don't think Robinson Chirinos impacts that at all because if they feel good with Adley Rutschman being their opening day catcher, great. Chirinos is a backup. That's fine. And so Chirinos is a good backup for any team, not just for the Orioles. And I think that, you know, it's this is not a signing that the Orioles are, are making expecting Chirinos to be their catcher all season. Right. It's just, it is a insurance for Adley Rutschman. And the catching position, you it takes at least two guys. You're not going to get through a whole season with one catcher, especially if you want to try Adley at DH, give him some opportunities there. Maybe in a blue, once in a blue moon, he plays at first just so you can get him some starts there. You need two catchers on the roster. They had zero. Now they have one. And I, like you said, the Adley Rutschman decision is going to come down to 
whether Mike Elias and company think that the draft pick that they would be getting by promoting him opening day is worth using this as a year of service time for Adley Rush. That's that's what matters. That's the discussion. Yeah. And that is all that will determine whether or not Adley Rutschman makes this opening day roster. He is good enough to be probably right now the best catcher in Baltimore, regardless of whether the Orioles signed Robinson Chirinos now. But this just gives you the flexibility that if that decision comes down to, okay, we still need to wait on Adley Rutschman a little bit, the draft pick that we would get as incentive is not worth calling him up right now, then Robinson Chirinos is a suitable starting catcher until the time that Adley Rutschman gets to Baltimore. And he could be a platoon catcher as well because yeah. he, he has been throughout his career much better against lefties than he has against righties. 847 OPS, thanks to Vivek on YouTube for bringing this up. 847 OPS against lefties in his career as opposed to 721 against righties. He's hitting 35 points higher in his 10-year career against lefties than he is righties. Adley Rutschman can hit from both sides of the plate. I think it's too early to look at his minor league splits and determine if he's better against righties or lefties. Well, you know, he's still so young in his career that we have yet to determine that. But if you have a lefty going against the Orioles, you feel pretty good about Robinson Chirinos starting behind the plate. Maybe you keep Adley Rutschman in the lineup as your DH or as your first baseman. Right. If you don't want to call Robinson Chirinos an everyday starting catcher right now at age 37, fine. At worst, he is a pretty solid platoon catcher that can play 50 to 60, 70 games. Yeah, I, I think it, it just makes sense for what the Orioles need. And it's, again, it's it's low risk. They're yeah. giving him $900,000. It's a major league deal, but that's nothing. That's, that's less than a million dollars. It's less than what they paid Matt Harvey last year. So it is very low risk. And I think it's a credit to Robinson Chirinos because he appears, I would guess, if he's taking this deal... He knows what he's in for. He knows that he's coming to be a veteran, that he's not going to get an everyday playing spot. And he only played 45 games last year, and he played about 30 games in the shortened 2020. So he has not been an everyday player for several years. He hasn't played 100 games in a season in three years. So he knows the kind of role that he's stepping into, which I think is much better for what the Orioles have than a player like a Pedro Severino, who, you know, this is not... To discredit Pedro Severino, he's going to be fighting for a an everyday spot, as well he should. He's still young enough that he still wants to get paid like an everyday player. He still is going to want everyday starts behind the plate. And he's not probably going to be thinking less about mentoring and more about getting better himself. Chirinos, I would think, and I, I am excited to talk to him at some point during spring training, I guess, once this deal becomes official, knows what he's in for. And he knows, he's looking at the roster. It's, he does, it's not like he doesn't know that Adley Rutschman is going to be his, uh, an everyday player. So my guess is he knows what he's in for and that he's up for the challenge of mentorship, which is something that the Orioles have prioritized. It's, it's something when they signed Freddie Galvis last year. That was something he talked about. It, Jose Iglesias, two years ago, when they brought him in, he specifically mentioned, this is a young roster with a young clubhouse and I want to impact them and teach them what I have learned. So if Robinson Torino's has that same mindset, that would be a much more, much better fit for Adley Rutschman as a pairing with him than somebody who is young and just fighting for an everyday job. Yeah, Torino's going to be very good in the clubhouse with Adley and the entire team, we hope, really. We assume. Yeah, we assume, but is also going to be good on the field for Adley Rutschman because, again, Adley could come up and be your opening day starting catcher, but that does not mean 
that you don't need a suitable backup. Right. Especially in Adley's first year in the bigs, you're not going to run him into the ground. You're not going to have him catch every single day. Yeah. I would imagine <laughs> that Adley Rutschman is going to DH quite a lot probably this year. Obviously, he is going to catch, but you need a backup catcher. It is probably the most valuable backup position on the diamond. And he was, Chirinos was traded as recently as 2020, midseason, went to the Mets. So there's a case to be made that Michael Elias saw that and said this guy had trade value two years ago. Maybe by midseason, if we feel comfortable with Jacob Nottingham or Anthony Benboom or Brett Cumberland in their system to come up and be a backup to Adley, we can trade Chirinos and maybe get something back. Because teams are often looking for, it's not always a huge thing, but if a catcher goes down, teams might look for Robinson Chirinos as a veteran, similar to how the Mets did a couple years ago, as somebody who can step in and just eat up some games from their everyday catcher. And we've talked about the dearth of quality catchers around baseball. I mean, look, the, the Yankees just traded Gary Sanchez and got a catching prospect back because... There aren't enough good catchers out there. It's not like they can go sign somebody, sign anybody that they want. There just aren't a whole lot of good catchers out there. So maybe some teams are struggling with catching depth in July and the Orioles can flip Chirinos. Well, a lot of teams are just struggling at catcher, period. Yeah. I mean, you want to look at the numbers of some all-star catchers in the American League last year. I know Robinson Chirinos had a much smaller sample size than those guys, but Robinson Chirinos' numbers are not that much worse than a lot of the top catchers in the American League offensively because there just aren't a lot of good catchers, period. Yeah. So if you can get a 37-year-old who is at least a good platoon bat and is solid defensively, it's a it's a low-risk move, and the Orioles did not spend a lot of money to get him. I don't see any negatives of this. So we have Torinos in-house. You have Jordan Lyles in-house. Other needs, I think you could still make a case for another pitcher. Yep. Starting pitcher or even a reliever, given the fact that the Rule 5 draft was probably going to net you one reliever. That's not going to happen. Other positions, I think you could still go after a middle infielder or third baseman. I think it's more likely now that the Orioles probably go after a utility man rather than a starter somewhere because a few of the names that we threw out as a potential starter at, say, shortstop, Jose Iglesias has been signed. Andrelton Simmons has been signed. Jonathan VR is still a name that's out there, but he just turned down a pretty sizable deal from yeah, the what Blue was, Jays reportedly. What, what was that deal? It was reported that Jonathan VR turned down a one-year, $6.5 million deal. So I don't see the Orioles going above that right. for Jonathan VR. So I would be surprised if the O's went after a starting shortstop at this point, but I think they could still realistically look at a utility man or maybe a starting third baseman. Here, Adrianza is off the market as yep. well. Guys are getting Nico snapped Goodrum up. Nico off the market. Off the, off the market? Who did he Houston. sign with? I didn't see that. Oh, Houston gets Nico Goodrum. We've had an absolute deluge of news over the past yeah. 24, 48 hours. A lot of the utility guys that we looked at are gone. I just said Nico Goodrum to Houston. Josh Harrison goes to Chicago. Jose yeah. Iglesias to Colorado. So a lot of those names are off the board. I'm going to jump in real quick and just say the Orioles are not signing Carlos Correa. Nope. And I know that we have been somewhat joking, and I know that you've made their ca your case to sign Carlos Correa for the Orioles, but I think it's, it's about time we all kind of accept the fact that it's not going to happen, and I know it's a fun daydream to have, but Brendan, it's just not going to happen. And it's it, not. It, it's, I, I'm not trying to rain on anybody's parade here, but just I hope you're enjoying the daydream of it, 
but you're not committing yourself to the reality of it because it's incredibly unlikely. There is a case to be made to do it. From an outside perspective, I've made the case on this podcast before that the Orioles could make a move for Correa similar to how the Padres did with Manny Machado, where you sign him a year or two before you're going to be really competitive, combine him with the prospects that are coming up throughout your system, boom, that's a good core on that team right there. Yeah. But the Orioles would have to really, really overpay for Carlos Correa right now to make that happen, and it's not going to. It's just not Even though there is a fun case to be made, it's not happening. I'm just sorry. It's yeah. it's just not. I feel like we are somewhat responsible for like pushing that, but we didn't because like, it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. But I've backed off that because I think I've realized that some people actually have taken it seriously. And well, my to be fair, my argument serious. My my point justifying why it would make sense to sign Carlos Correa. I'm a hundred percent behind that. Yeah. But realistic, I don't think it's going to happen. It's just an argument that I'm making as to why it would make sense. Yes. That doesn't mean I think it's happening because I don't, I do not. Exactly. Um, so, so, sorry. Sorry. Sorry, <laughs> sorry everybody. My, my bad. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, let's talk real quickly uh, about Steve Molesky came out with his top 20 list of the Orioles' international prospects. Last week, it was a segment, it was a series of articles that he put on MassInSports.com. He did incredible amount of research to gather all this information. We're going to talk to him in just a little bit about that. Um, he also talked to Mike Elias. He talked to Kobe Perez. Uh, some great stuff on MassInSports.com. And it, it, let's run through real quickly the top 20. Starting at the top, his number one guy, shortstop Michael Hernandez, 18 years old, 2021 signee from Venezuela. You might remember he got $1.2 million, which is $100,000 less then the guy who's number two on the list, which is Samuel Basayo. Those two guys were the first two international players to sign seven-figure deals with the Orioles. And even though the O's added a big class in 2022, none of the guys, according to Steve, topped Michael Hernandez and Samuel Basayo, shortstop and catcher at the top. Yeah, that was a nice transition from Carlos Correa, Correa there, Paul, because Michael Hernandez gets comparisons to Carlos Correa because of his body type. He's at six foot three and is incredibly fluid at shortstop. It's kind of the Correa, Alex Rodriguez build, a bigger, more athletic guy playing shortstop. It's hard to come by, but Michael Hernandez gets the number one spot for that reason. And then Samuel Basayo, he's, again, six foot three, could potentially outgrow catcher, but he does have a really solid arm and has a lot of raw power. And when we talk about catcher, I know everyone's going to say, well, you have Adley Rutschman. Samuel Basayo is 17 years old. He is a ways away from the big leagues. Yes. So don't worry at all about positional overlap there with any of these guys. The only one that you can really talk about is Cesar Prieto, I think, who is at number five because he's 22 years old. Uh, remember, he was a signing a couple months ago back in January from Cuba. Uh, he factors in much more. He will factor in much sooner than the yes. other guys on this list. But in between there, you have um, number three infielder, Anderson De Los Santos. He's 18 years old from the Dominican Republic. They signed him a year ago in 2021. Uh, he only signed for $350,000. And then you have Braylon Tavera, who on the other end of the spectrum, he's at number four. He's an outfielder. He's 17 years old. They signed him back in January. He signed for $1.7 million. So he topped... Both Samuel Basayo and Michael Hernandez as the highest paid international free agent. So in De Los Santos, you have somebody signed for three hundred fifty thousand, and then you have Braylon Tavares who signed for one point seven million. Yeah, 
and Anderson De Los Santos, it's incredibly impressive that he has moved his way up given how little his signing bonus was compared to the rest of these guys. He has really good bat-to-ball skills. He hit 324 in 36 Dominican Summer League games. He made 26 at thir- 26 starts at third base but signed as a shortstop, so I'd imagine that the Orioles' plan is to move him over to the hot corner. But the really exciting thing about this list holistically, Paul, is that 19 of the 20 guys here were signed under the Mike Elias, Kobe Perez era. Yeah. And we are not seeing players that are signing for $4 million, $5 million. We see teams around baseball using pretty much their entire bonus pool to go towards one player that they think is going to be a star. But Mike Elias and Kobe Perez kind of had to build this from the ground up. And the fact that you have a player like Cesar Prieto, who was signed as the best hitter from Cuba, and he is your fifth-ranked international prospect, that says a lot about how far this international system has come. Only one signee from 2018. There were six signees from the 2019 class that are in Steve Molesky's top 20. One signee from 2020, and four signees from 2021, and then five from 2022 with three acquired via trade. Now, the, the ones who were acquired via trade, uh, Michelle Desson, who's 19, he came over in the uh, 2020 Michael Gibbons trade. He's an outfielder. They also got Gene Pinto, who came in at number 10, and you're going to hear from Steven a little bit about why he put Gene Pinto there. The people love Gene Pinto, Paul. They do, and he's a little bit older than the guys on this list, so we've seen him come stateside before those guys. He's 21 years old. They got Pinto, if you recall, in the Jose Iglesias trade. And then Isaac De Leon, who was acquired as the player to be named later back in 2020 as part of the Richard Blyer trade to the Marlins. So looking at this list on the whole, Brendan, other than the years in which these guys were signed, anything stick out to you about some of the players on this list? Well, we asked Steve Molesky about Gene Pinto and why he was ranked a little bit lower because Gene Pinto had a ton of hype last season. He's just 21 years old, part of the Jose Iglesias deal, like you said. He ranked first in the ERA and was second in strikeout rate and whip among all Orioles pitchers in the farm system and was second to just Grayson Rodriguez in those other two categories. Yeah. So Gene Pinto, I think, is a really exciting prospect, and Steve even admitted that a lot of people would probably argue that he's a little bit higher than 10, but has an uphill battle because of his physical attributes. Yeah, so it is a group that is very talented, not a whole lot of pitchers, especially in the top 10. You know, the first pitcher comes in, at number eight, no pitchers in the top seven. It's a lot of infielders and catchers in, in addition to some outfielders. But, the you know, the Orioles have prioritized kind of those infielders. And if you listen to what Michael Elias has said over the previous years, he thinks that the Orioles are lacking not just in their international depth, but he mentions how some of the best infielders in baseball, shortstop, second baseman, came from the international market. So that is something that he wants to exploit. And, and he's right. That's where a lot of the top, inter, top infielders around baseball have come from. So that's why the Orioles are prioritizing players up the middle. Right. And I've mentioned before on this podcast, I'm really excited about Cesar Prieto. I mean, he's the 14th ranked prospect from fan graphs. I think his potential is really, really high. He hit like 400 something in Cuba. And obviously we'll have to see how that level of competition translates to the minor leagues. But if his bat to ball skills are what we've heard and what they looked like in Cuba, 
he could vault himself into the second base discussion for the Orioles pretty quickly. Well, Steve knows a lot more about this than we do. So listen to our conversation with Steve Molesky about his top 20 list of the Orioles international prospects. We're joined now on the Masson All Access podcast by Steve Molesky. Steve, thanks so much for hopping on. Paul, you got it. Happy to be with you. So how did you come up with the idea to rank the Orioles top 20 international prospects because you see top 30s out there that are all the prospects that a team has in their system but this may be the first Orioles top 20 international prospect list how did you come up with this idea and and that's how I said (laughs) this is something no one is doing I don't even see this really uh writers at various teams it's like I didn't get the idea from some writer from Kansas City who does it with his uh, organization, the one he covers. I just, I just said, Paul, this is something that's not um, being written. Now, um, as several people in baseball said to me, it's a great idea because Steve, you're not going to be right or wrong here when you're talking about 16 or 17. That list a year from now could be completely different. And so it wasn't so much to let fans know, oh, this guy's better than that guy or vice versa. It really, Paul, in the end, was the way I think for me and MassInSports.com and now you guys uh, with this today to just shine a light on the improvement. You know, the Orioles were very dormant, as we know, for years. I mean, they got scope. They got Eduardo Rodriguez, but they were not diving into the deep end, which they now are. So it's a way, really, Paul, to just get information out on players maybe we haven't heard a lot about, shine a light on it, do it over a couple days. Mike Elias was generous with his time. They kind of tie it all together for us in the, in the final uh, piece of the series. So it was fun to do. It was fun for me to learn more about these players. And like I said, there's no right or wrong answers in ranking prospects, whether you're doing it in a top 100 or an international Oriole top 20. So, Steve, starting at the top of your list, Michael Hernandez is the number one ranked prospect on your top 20. What separates him from the rest of the group? I think... The ceiling is what separates him. And you've heard scouts mention his body type, like Correa and some of the bigger shortstops. They're not saying he's going to be Correa, but um, he's really a very toolsy, talented young man. And so the first time I saw a video on this kid, I said, wow, look how smooth he is with his actions and short. He's got a good arm. Uh, He just looked polished for his age. And the one thing he did show last year where he did put up modest stats and again, that, and that's another thing that, you know, you don't go crazy over stats in the first year or two DSL with players because plenty of players didn't light it up that first year. And he didn't, but he got better as the year went on. And the walks and the strikeout rate was pretty good. Uh, so there's something to work with there. Definitely going to grow into power. The Orioles and other teams and scouts that I talked to look at this kid and see the chance to grow into a bigger body, 6'3", 175. So, I mean, you guys know a prospects if you're dreaming on if they hit the top end of this thing. And if he does, a long way to go from where he is now, uh, they really could have something. Michael Hernandez wasn't even the highest dollar amount amateur international free agent that the Orioles signed in that signing period in 2021. Uh, Samuel Basayo got a big dollar amount as well. The catcher uh, who is six foot three. You talked about in MassInSports.com's article about the ability offensively 
of Samuel Basayo, but there are some questions as to whether he can stick at catcher just because of his size. He's six foot three. He's one eighty. I'm sure scouts expect him to fill into that six foot three frame. But do you expect him to be a catcher long term, or do you think he might change position somewhere down the line? I think because he throws so well and is already showing some pretty good defensive skills, um, the Orioles hope is he stays a catcher. I mean, there'll be more value a long term in a player who has a little pop and has got some acumen to hit. <clears throat> and he, like uh, Hernandez, had a pretty good walks and strikeout ratio for a hitter. Uh, and like Hernandez is already getting in top 30s for the Orioles, which is impressive, so young. They hope he can stay a catcher. He had five home runs, which is not a lot, but in 40 games that led that group of players last year in the DSL. And so big OPS in August. I mean, the kid showed a lot. We're showing pop times that are already above probably major league average with his arm. So his, his caught stealing percentage, don't worry about that because young kids may not hold runners and so forth. Uh, but the arm plays and the pop plays. And so, I mean, Matt Wieters was a big catcher. Adley's a big catcher. It's not unprecedented, obviously, to have guys of big size who stay back there. Steve, I thought it was really interesting to see Anderson De Los Santos come in at number three in your top 20, considering he didn't sign forward nearly as much as some of the other guys in the top five. How was he able to work his way into that tier of player that signed for a much larger signing bonus? Well, you know, it was a combination, Brendan, of uh, potential and production. He had both. Whereas we look at Hernandez and say, wow, that kid's number one, but he didn't tear it up on the stat sheet. Okay, that's fine. Where, where the Orioles are okay with that, they understand the progress he made. Delos Santos kind of did. 904 OPS. Um, he, he was uh, really good against left-handed pitching. And here's the stat I like. 11.8 walk rate. That's pretty good. 14.2 K rate. He was making contact. And when he was, he was driving the ball. And the thing I've heard for years, guys, on the international market, because these kids are so young and because we can't know what a 16-year-old will look like at 20, will he still still have the drive he has today? Will his body get bigger? Will he do all the right things? Um, you can get players for lower dollar amounts that hit it big. We've seen that. That's true in Major League Baseball right now. Um, so, yes, your better chance with the bigger dollar guys, of course. But on this top 20 list, there are players signed for $10,000. Uh, and their player signed for $1.7 million. So you, as Mike Elias said, you kind of need both ends of the pool because this is a market. You can hit it big for not a big dollar amount because of what comes after, you know, you sign them at 16 and they're very different at 20. So um, Davos Santos is a modest dollar sign, as you noted, but really, really strong year. Somebody that the Orioles did not sign themselves, but acquired via trade, Gene Pinto. Talk about great production. He came stateside during the 2021 season and was outstanding on the mound. He came in at number 10 on your list of top 20 international free agents that the Orioles had signed or acquired. Why was he on the fringe of the top 10? And do you think that he has the chance to rise up that list at some point soon? He's a guy that when I end of this thing, I said, shouldn't he be higher than that? And so I went with a consensus of opinions I heard from some people uh, and didn't just let the stats sway me to have him be higher up. But um, great year for Pinto in 
2021, could start at Aberdeen, and we're going to see where this kid goes. I mean, if you look at the Oriole minor league pitchers who threw 60 innings or more, no one had a better ERA, and he was uh, scored high in several other categories. I mean, it was Tim and Grayson, if you start to compare. And I'm not, again, not putting him in that class by any stretch. But some scouts have put 60 grades on his fastball and slider. So why isn't he higher? You're right. And so one knock on him is a knock that he can't control, and it's being 5'11". You know, when you get a right-hander who's 5'11", automatically scouts say uh, that may not play as he moves up. So he's going to be one of these guys, like maybe an Alexander Wells has been, <clears throat> that you just got to keep proving it. Every year people are going to say you can't do it. And so that doesn't mean anything because John Means was never a highly touted prospect. So you just keep playing, producing, and the Orioles uh, like Tinto plenty, and he's going to get many chances to show uh, he can be higher on this list uh, if I do it again next year. Now, pretty much every name on this top 20, Steve, has been signed over the last three years. What does that say about the job that the Mike Elias, Kobe Perez regime has done so far in the international market? They've come far fast. I mean, they really have, because you guys know in the international market under the current rules, if you can sign a kid at 16, you better start meeting and scouting them at 13 or 14. I mean, that's crazy. Uh, uh, you know, such a young age, but but you can't just show up two two months before they're sixteen and say, "Hey, we're interested in you," because all every other team beat you, beat you to it. So you have to work in some cases years ahead. Uh, if you're scouting a kid at fourteen, you're obviously working years ahead, right? And sign him before two, for two years. Um, and so it, it's a, it's a complicated market. And because of that, they, they were it took the Orioles a couple years to ramp up to where they could get involved with some of the biggest and best players, which they now are. Um, and they're very happy with their progress. Michael I said, this is where we hoped to be, anticipated we'd be about now. Uh, and 1.7, Braylon Tavera was their biggest sign so far dollar-wise. There's a great chance they'll beat that in the next class as this keeps getting, getting higher and higher. And uh, then one day, guys, the Orioles are going to have to Unless this goes to a draft, which of course is possible, the Orioles are going to have to decide. Some teams take that full money of five or six million and give a lot to two players and a little to a few others, and a signing class to six or eight guys. And so, if you notice, the Orioles' classes are much smaller year two or three than year one because more money went to the top, meaning less for the rest. And so, um, uh, I think right now the Orioles like getting one or two big fish, so to speak, and then spreading some money around to try to get a $10,000 lottery ticket or an Anderson De Los Santos for 300 350 who looks like he could be something for you. But they did leave themselves $100 now, Steve. Remember, in the 2022 uh, <laughs> international bonus pool, they have 100 bucks. I don't know what that can get you in the international market at this point, but they have it left over. So maybe they could use it spending on your top 20, you know, it was like a little kickback for, uh, for putting this together might be a good use of that. Uh, but you mentioned Braylon Tavera coming in at number four on your list. He was the highest and currently holds the record for the uh, highest signing bonus for a guy from the international free agent market in the Orioles organization. Do you think that he has the chance to get up into the one, two, three tier at some point down the line, considering the kind of money that they invested in him this year? 
certainly. And, you know, the guys who were signed in the 2022 class have no stats yet. So if he goes out in this first year coming up and tears it up, I mean, he could be a guy you say would be number one if you're, if you're doing this ranking a year from now. And, I mean, he's going to be a marked man anyway because of a big signing bonus and because uh, he's, a, he's just a toolsy guy. You know, you hear talk that five tools can play. And so, that's for me, that's big, to have players who can impact the game all over the field, on offense, on defense, with their speed. And Tavera is one of those guys. So, that's what the Orioles hope they got here. Not a guy who's got one great tool. Wow, he could hit 40 homers. But a guy who can be good throughout. They, they really like him. Uh, signed him at 16. So, they're getting him at the very start of this process. Uh, and real excited about what he can do. And I'll add, Paul, to what you were saying before I started gabbing here um, about the money. You can still sign 10000 that's not count against pools. So $10,000, bonus of 10000 or less, can the Orioles still could sign this year, even though they may not have that actually left uh, officially in their pool. Right. And so as, we, as we've proven, Gene Pinto, the Angels signed in May of 2019 for $10,000. So give the Orioles credit for being a good, you know, good trade acquisition there in the Iglesias trade when they got Garrett Stallings and Gene Pinto, which at the time it looked to all of us in the media like Pinto was the throw-in guy, um, and maybe he was, but boy, he's proving to be more than that so far. So, uh, and in international, what happens is a kid who on signing day may look one level of player, and then four, five, six months later. Got a little bigger, got a little stronger, got a little faster. Is that maybe his fastball increased velocity? And you still can sign. You know, you have it's almost a year period. It used to be July 2 to like June of the next year. Now it's January to January. Um, so if the Orioles see someone in December coming up of 2022 that they like that will sign for 10000 they could get him. Now, you mentioned Gene Pinto, but a lot of the names in this top 20 are position players. And in fact, the top seven ranked players in your top 20 are all position players. So do you have any concern about the fact that there's maybe not a top-end pitcher among these international prospects? Not really, because I don't think um, in international, I don't think they were looking to necessarily balance it. You know, you have, like in the draft, sometimes you may... In the end, after you've drafted 20 or 40 guys, you may want some level of balance. Um, and so, again, it's going to be what happens after they sign. Some of these kids will get bigger and stronger and gain velocity. Uh, and we saw some guys on the back end of the list here. And I'm thinking about uh, Alejandro Mendez, who's number 20, who is uh, now, I believe, touching 100 miles an hour. You know, and he was signed for 15,000. So there's a name almost no one ever heard of with the Orioles until this list. So some of those guys are going to come on. And a couple of these guys, when I talked to some scouts, comped with Felix Bautista, who was a pitcher with big arm strength three or four years ago and was Nuclelouche, and he still is Nuclelouche <laughs> a little bit, but he's harnessed his control a little more, and now he's a chance to impact the Orioles at the major league level. And so, again, that's what you're dreaming on, some of these kids are throwing lights out right now but not commanding it uh the orioles will and player development will do their magic with them to try to help that 
Steve, we are just skimming the surface on all of the information that you have compiled over the last several months in putting together this top 20 international prospect list for the Orioles. Thank you so much for hopping on. And for those who have not read your multitude of articles now, you had one article beginning the list for Michael Hernandez. You had another going two through 10, and then the final one going 11 through 20. And then you spoke with Mike Elias about the list itself. You got to go check it out on MassInSports.com because it is incredibly insightful. Steve, thanks so much for hopping on to discuss this. And congratulations, honestly, on putting together a spectacular uh, run of pieces here. Fun to do. And it's great, uh, guys, to have this to cover that the Orioles are really believers in this right now because it's uh, 30% of Major League clubhouses are international players. And in the American League East, the best division maybe in sports, if you want to hang with those guys, the other four teams, I guarantee you, are humming in international. So now there are five in the AL East humming in international. Absolutely. Steve Molesky, check him out on MassInSports.com. We appreciate it. You got it. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks to Steve for that. And, Brendan, we have some news to discuss as Mike Elias has uh, taken to the microphone down in Sarasota, Florida. And we're basing this off of uh, we, what we hope are the reliable tweets of some of the Orioles beat writers. We certainly hope. We certainly hope. Yeah. Uh, assuming, uh, you know, Rockabaco isn't, isn't just messing with us, which is always a possibility. Uh, but some interesting nuggets coming out of the press conference, Brendan. I'd say, first off, that Michael I said that they're really not looking for any multi-year deals for free agents. He didn't rule it out, but he said, odds are, if they're going to sign somebody else, it's going to be to a one-year deal. Yeah, a tweet which was responded to with, so I guess it's... It's just a one-year deal for Carlos Correa then. Yeah, it, ma- it makes sense that the Orioles are not looking at a lot of multi-year deals. You have a lot of prospects that you do not want to block at this point, and it sounds like the prospects might be getting here sooner rather than later. Yeah, on DL Hall, Michael Elias said, quote, we hope, or sorry, we may see him in the big leagues this year, and we may see him quick. He said he's been throwing a lot of strikes, which is key. We know DL Hall has struggled with command. Made only seven appearances last year, 35-ish innings for Double-A Bowie. Sounds like Michael Elias is bullish on his chance to make the big league roster at some point soon. And if he's bullish on D.L. Hall, got to believe Grayson Rodriguez isn't far behind him if he's far behind, if he's behind him at all, Brandon. Yeah, it seems like pretty much everybody at camp at this point that has gotten an invite to Major League Camp has a chance to make the roster. Right away, which is exciting, and that's referring to, of course, Adley Rutschman, Grayson Rodriguez, and D.L. Hall. Hall is the interesting case because of the injury last year he sustained while pitching for Double-A Bowie. We didn't really know where he would go. He could have stayed at Double-A this year. He could make his way up to Triple-A Norfolk based on just talent level. But based on talent level and his age progression, it would make sense that he would be at the big leagues this year. We just really didn't know how the Orioles were going to want to push him after the injury last season. Yeah, remember, he is a year older than Grayson Rodriguez. So while he may not have as many appearances at the AA level, he does have the age working for him. And he may not be, we'll see, as to who's more polished at this point, D.L. Hall or Grayson Rodriguez. Yeah, but if we're talking about the possibility of having both D.L. Hall and Grayson Rodriguez in this rotation at some point, all of a sudden we go from John Means, Jordan Lyles, and a mess of whoever the remaining three guys are between mess. Bruce Zimmerman, Keegan Aiken, yeah. a, a good a good problem mess. to have it's, because there's just kind of a jumble of prospects there. It's not like these players are bad, though. It's no, not no. a bad mess. It I, is just a, a conglomerate. A mess of, of 
players who are kind of in a similar tier of you want to see what you have from them as starting pitchers, not a bad problem to have at all. Right. The point being that Grayson Rodriguez and DL Hall are just at a tier above those guys. And you know, once they get to the majors, they're going to be the dudes in the starting rotation. Yeah. So then all of a sudden you have what four starting rotation spots kind of cemented at that point once Grayrod and DL Hall are at the majors. And if Jordan Lyles pitches well, maybe you flip him and you open up another spot in the rotation and you go back to that pleasant yeah. mess of Zach Lowther, Alexander Wells, Mike Bauman, those guys yes. to fill that spot. One more note, uh, while talking about free agency and saying that they were looking most likely for one-year deals, he did specify shortstop and pitcher. Didn't say starting pitcher or reliever that I can tell based on the tweets. So still looking for pitchers, still looking for a shortstop, which makes perfect sense. He said they could sign a starting caliber shortstop, but, you know, given that they have Jorge Mateo and Ramon Arias um, in the system already, I think that they feel okay going with a a depth piece at shortstop. Yeah, I agree. And I am a little bit surprised that third base wasn't thrown out as somewhere where they were looking, which kind of makes me think that they might have another plan there. I've thrown on the podcast before that maybe Rugnet Odor is a possibility to play some third base because he did that with the Yankees a little bit. Maybe they think Ramon Arias can be a third base piece. He played there a little bit last year. I'm just surprised if... I would be surprised if going into next year, the Orioles are content with Calvin Gutierrez just being the dude over there. Here's where mind is my mind is going. If I'm thinking D.L. Hall could be ready for the big league soon, why wouldn't the same apply to a Jordan Westberg? Yeah. Or a Patrick Dorian, who got an invite to Major League Camp as well. Get, I, don't, I think he's less likely. I but. think he is less likely, but from the sounds of things, if you got an invite to Major League Camp, you have a chance to break spring training with the team. Right. So it, maybe they're looking at Patrick Dorian as a third base option as well. Kind of an under the radar, don't have to worry about service time, not really a top prospect you have, kind of filler. You have names in there. You have yeah. the you know, you have Rylan Bannon. Um you can you can piece something together and maybe they do go after look, they they signed a shortstop in January last year in Freddie Galvis and then a week or two before opening day, they went and signed Michael Franco. So so maybe if somebody becomes available, they'll address both positions. Who knows? Yeah. But it would make sense also to get somebody who's versatile, who could play either one of those positions, or you run it back with Ramon Arias, and that's not the end of the world. Yeah. Again, I would just be surprised if Kelvin Gutierrez is your everyday guy. Yeah. All right, that just about does it for our podcast today. Thanks so much for following along live on Facebook and YouTube, or you could be listening to it after the fact on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcast. Give us a, a thumbs up. Please give us a like if you're watching on YouTube, and give us five stars if you're listening on Spotify as well. We really appreciate it. At Brandon Morty is his Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. Thanks so much to Bobby Blanco for producing today's podcast. We'll be back at the latest next week, but if some kind of breaking news happens between now and then, we will do our best to go live and break it all down for you. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.